0: So tell me a little bit more about that zone that you get into as an actor. You, you can't get into it at will, can you?
1: No, I think you can make yourself calm at will and then you can give a, a, a good performance. But when you get to that place and you have people that are working with you and they throw you the line, you throw them the line, they give you that, that hug or they give you that touch and then it just sparks something and then you just end up getting there, you know? And it's sort of like, um, I would say it's like great sex. It's just like, whoa, if you've ever had it, you know what it is and it's like, oh God, just amazing.
0: Cheryl Lee Ralph is an amazing veteran actor who won a Tony for the original Broadway production of Dreamgirls, but is best known to a lot of people as Brandy's tough stepmom, Moesha. She's now directed a powerful short film for BET Her about women's health and internet fame called Like, Comment, Subscribe. She's a pretty amazing, fascinating, interesting person. For now, let's get into the amazing, the awesome, the powerful Cheryl Lee Ralph on Toure Show. So you have made a really powerful short film for BET uh, about a woman with breast cancer who's being really thoughtful about it and really loving with her fans uh, on social media. It's called Like, Comment, Subscribe. And, um, it's what, and you're directing this. You don't appear in it. You're just directing it. I want to hear you talk about just what you were thinking about as a director in 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 overseeing this piece, because it's a very loving, heartfelt, emotional piece.
1: First of all, I thank you so, so much for that because I really wanted to touch young women, especially young women of color, okay, Black, to let them know how very important they are and that they cannot downplay what they mean to the world in a big or small existence. You're very important. How that script became so real for me was a month before when I first got the script, my brother married his partner and she had been diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. She's a social media influencer and she was, you know, doing her thing, staying positive, sharing it with people.
0: So this is your sister-in-law in many ways that we're seeing.
1: Yeah. A week before, the week before I started to shoot the film, she died of stage four metastatic breast cancer.
0: Oh, no, I'm so sorry.
1: Oh, trust me, so were we. And it was so, it was surreal that I'm reading the script and life was imitating art. So all I had to do in my mind was just play what I knew was a a woman's reality. I'd I'd experienced it through talking to my brother and photographs that they shared. And I was just, this is it. This is important because if it could happen to a young woman like her, it could happen to anybody. So take yourself, take yourself, your existence, your life, your love, your importance in the world, seriously. Who was this woman?
0: Tell us a little bit. Who was this woman? Tell us a little bit about her.
1: Tamika. Tamika was young. You know, Tamika was, was probably about getting ready to be 40 years old. Maybe she had four young children and uh, she was, she was beautiful. You know, that kind of spirit. She was a beautiful woman, beautiful in herself, beautiful in life, you know, working on herself, becoming, you know, her best self. And she had, you know how sometimes regular everyday people battle with health care, access to health care or not. And you work certain jobs, they don't offer it or you work certain jobs and then they give you a lesser sort of health care. When something like cancer hits, you need an out and out army of care to be there for you. That care, that absolute great care did not happen for her till she married my brother. You know, maybe if they had known more, they might have done it sooner, you know, and um, I I don't know. So she had all of those things Very often we're in life patterns, in life of not taking care of ourselves. You know, when you have children, women will always put their children first. They will always do that. So she might not be feeling well, mother, woman, Tamika, but you're going to check on your kids first. Do your kids have what they need? And sometimes you put these things off, you put them off, you put them off. Until we present black women to the emergency room to the hospital, and what might have been a battle you could fight, you can't fight that battle anymore
0: this um short film, about twenty minutes, there's only really only three actors in it, right the That's right the woman, her fiance and who the doctor. and the doctor um
1: for me i was very happy with because to Ray, you can be you can do these films you don't have a lot of money and you certainly don't have a lot of time
0: how long did you have two days
1: wow that's quick
0: that's quick
1: two days how many setups were there
0: how many setups were there
1: oh honey please don't I, I can't even remember there were there were so many okay and I can tell you this, we had to cut four of them because I was just like in reading it, I said, I'm I'm not going to make my days. You know, when you when you look at your 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 sheet and you talk to your DP and your crew and all you can you can know what it is, how many pages you believe you can shoot, shoot within a certain amount of time. and And I knew that we just were not going to make all of that. So. There was there are two actors that did not make it into the final script because I just it just it just couldn't happen it just couldn't happen the scene underneath the stars oh, that was just not going to happen because by the time we really wrapped it was dawn so oh, <laughs> you know it was it was a lot but we were able to pare it down to what it is you see and it just worked and not having a lot of time I figured that you know with women. there are are a lot of feelings inside. There are a lot of feelings that you won't show. So I wanted to use the camera to in some ways get inside her mind. You know, there's one part where the doctor's telling her the bad news and I didn't want to just sit on her. I wanted to feel her emotions, which she didn't want to let out. So you could see her eyes and it was like a flood of tears. She wouldn't show that. Really, it might be just a tear if it was real. But inside, it's a flood of tears. You saw that. Then inside, outside, she's quiet, but inside, she's screaming. And we were able to show it like that, and it it came out better than I expected. And I was I was very very happy.
0: What is? Let's talk about what it means to be a director.
1: Ooh, I love that. You know what? A director has to live and breathe for the script. The director has to love the message, the everything. The director is the one who sees every move. You must know and see where the scenes are, where the characters are going. But I'm an actor's director, so I may see it, but I don't want to tell you what to do because Very often you get some skilled actors. They know exactly where the character is going. They know exactly how to move it to get the feeling that it is you want. So I was very happy that I had young actors and these young actors wanted everything that I had in my mind for the film and we were able to get it together. So a director has to see every move. A director has to work with everybody. And a director has to make everybody feel good about what it is they're doing and where where they are. I mean, it's like you've got to make the crew feel good so that every move happens on time and as quick as possible. A uh, director has to make the cast feel good so that the cast knows that they're being taken care of and it's going to be all right and i get it and we're working on this together a director has to make the producers feel good don't worry i got you and i will deliver this final project to you and it's going to be wonderful a director is literally directing it all and you have to and it takes a certain amount of skill to do all of those things a director even has to make the extras feel good about yeah. being there.
0: I, I've been on a couple of sets and I've I'm always impressed with how the director really needs to be sort of left brain and right brain at the same time and you talk to the actors in a sort of poetic way and then you're talking to the dp or the lighting people in a very technical way about lenses and then maybe the producer sitting there and you got to talk about money and time which is like a different part of the brain and and you got to be able to flow within you know a two minute period from the left to the right to this to that. And it's, it's a very complex uh, job involving like all of your soul.
1: It is. And that's why I believe a director must absolutely love the script, because if you don't absolutely love the script, there's no reason for you to spend that much of your being on a project, whether it's a month, a year or two days. You've got to love it to stay involved. And it was so it was so interesting for me when I'm on stage and I'm acting or I'm singing. There are moments where you get in a zone and you fly. It's like you just start to elevate, elevate. It's like the sky opens up and you're just in that place and you're like, yeah, 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 that's me. That's right. That's how we do this. Uh-huh. And when I got on set and I said that first action, it was like I got right to that place. And I was like, oh, my God, I am right where I should be. And I am loving this. And it was it was just one of the best feelings ever. And I felt so good because it was almost like Tamika was saying, that's right, Cheryl, tell my story. Tell those people my story. Let me live again. And I was like, wow.
0: I mean, so of course, cool. we we know you primarily as an actor. You've been acting for, you know, a super long Sorry.
1: time. I've been acting since I was 19 years old and probably way before then but I joined Screen Actors Guild at 19. So I've been a union working actor my whole life.
0: So tell me a little bit more about that zone that you're yeah. talking about that you get into as an actor. You, you can't get into it at will, can you?
1: No, I think it's, I think you can make yourself calm at will, and then you can give a, a a good performance. But when you get to that place and you have people that are working with you and they throw you the line, you throw them the line, they give you that, that hug or they give you that touch and then it just sparks something and then you just end up getting there, you know? And it's sort of like, um, I would say it's like great sex. It's just like whoa! If you've ever had it, you know what it is, and it's like oh god, just amazing.
0: Um, what does it? What does it mean? What does it take to be a great actor?
1: I I never downplay things like being curious. I never downplay being well informed, well educated traveled, but really, really inquisitive about people, about life, about situations. Whenever I'm in a, any kind of situation, I'm always paying attention to everything around me. I pay attention to people. I pay attention to what they wear, how they walk, what they, how they're talking, what it is they're saying. And it's like, I, um, and that's helped me a lot because I can pick up and create a lot of human beings because I'm always inquisitive. You know, it's like, I listen to people's accents, the way they speak, speak, you know, I I want to do an African. I want to do an African sister because, you know, I'm not an African, but I think the African, the accent, you know, especially from the West Africa, I think that is somebody that I could do. And, you know, I think about stuff like that. Then I think. Why is it so many, you know, so many Brits, they come over to America and they work. And I think it's because, you know, they're, they're quite skilled, they're quite educated, you know, and all. But they, they study well. And I always say to myself, you know, I'm going to practice their accent because possibility might come for me one day to go over there and work just as well. You know, if they can work here, possibly, you know, we can reciprocate and I can work there. So, you know, but also, you know different accents, you know, they take on different people. And then, you know, sometimes you got them kind of folks. They's just like, you know, shit, I don't know what the hell y'all talking about, but y'all not think from here, y'all don't know what we talking about. So what you really talking about? Because I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. huh? So, you know, it's like so many, so many different things, you know?
0: I, I, I've had a bunch of actors on here talking about how you have to be a student of life. And how they, they like to take that time. They might just go to a diner or whatever and just watch people. And just like you're saying, like, pick up the details of, of movement, of expression, of just like how to be a person in the world.
1: The human being, human in life. It's not, it's very, it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. You ever, you ever notice how sometimes somebody might be young but then they'll take on a character that's ill. And it's because everything about their young life has to disappear to go to the person that's ill. You know, the person that's ill might not, might smile, but they might not smile as often because they probably are in pain. And it's like, you have to realize that, you know, little things, little things, you know, sometimes actors do that upset me though, when they don't think things through, it's like, don't put a cup, of water or tea or coffee up to your mouth, put it down and your lips are dry. Did you not think that through? I'm going to see your dry lips. And then immediately I'm like, oh my God, at least put a little water in there or something. Little things like that.
0: We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is... Is Elizabeth the first. Elizabeth the first, the podcast, wherever you listen at me.
0: How do you um, have longevity in this business?
1: Do you know people ask me that all the time (laughs) and all the time? I have to say, I don't know, but there are at least two other women that I know very well who have longevity. Loretta Devine and I were together on stage doing Dream Girls, the original musical. My friend to this day. And Loretta has had longevity, right? She has a new movie coming out called Spell. Oh my god, it's so good and she's great in it. Jennifer Lewis. Jennifer Lewis and I have known each other since we were 19 years old. Talking about we're going to be stars and we were going to make it at the Howard Johnson. There used to be a Howard Johnson on Broadway.
0: Yep. 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 Yep.
1: And we sat in the window and we shared an apple pie cuz we didn't want to spend our money and we both had water because we didn't want to spend our money <laughs> talking about how we're gonna make it. And she has had longevity. And um now blackish is gonna be turning into old-ish. And since she is my old friend, I guess that'd be true. But you know, it's we have just carried on, we have just remained relevant, we have just continued to work and literally scratch out a place for ourselves in an industry that when we were much younger, was not afraid to tell us that they didn't know what to do with us. I'll never forget a casting director looking at my 23 year old face telling me, what do I do with a beautiful young black girl? Do I put you in a movie with Tom Cruise? Do you kiss? Who goes to see that movie? He said that to my face. I will not forget the producer who, when I braided my hair, looked at my hair and said, Can't you find a hairstyle more natural? Right. And when I was young and so eager. The industry wanted to tell me in so many ways, there's no place for you. I'll never forget the agent who looked at me after Dream Girls and said, you're beautiful, you're talented. Remember your place. Don't be like that Diana Ross. When he said that, I said, whatever place Diana Ross is in, that's the place I want to be. I'll never forget these things, never forget it. But like I always say to other young artists, you got to hang on in there if this is what you want to do, because if you can't hang in there, do something else, because this industry is full of people who have lost their minds because they couldn't try anymore or they tried too much and they were disappointed. Fame and this industry, it is not for everybody. It will kick your behind and then stomp on you just because.
0: Fame is difficult for an actor. And I would think that fame becomes part of your currency that allows you to have some power. Because when you walk in the room as a famous actor... You know, they already know who you are. They are there, you know, you are you have currency, you have value. The audience will say, Oh, it's Cheryl Lee Ralph. Oh, yes, yes. As opposed to somebody they don't know yet.
1: Well, you know, it is what it is. It it all depends on how it's used. And and I think when I say fame as social currency in the industry absolutely work, but some works, but sometimes people use their fame as um a weapon, you know there are a lot of people who think that they are more famous than they really are and then they come to places and situations with bad attitude or big demands and you know it's um it's just not good because trust me as famous as you may be somebody somewhere has no idea who you are
0: yes of course so right you you were talking about Some of the challenges that you face as a younger actor and people saying, you know, basically you're never going to go anywhere. What am I going to do with you? Well, now we've seen, you know, a hundred different uses for Cheryl Lee Ralph and she fits in all these plays and these movies and these television shows. and She can do anything, but you hear often that life gets harder for actors and especially actresses as you move on in time. How has that been?
1: If you mean getting older in an industry that loves youth, you know, unfortunate. I'm getting older. There are a lot of people who will never get older, ever. Right. I don't want that alternative. I'm very happy getting older. I'm very happy having been married, divorced, and remarried, happily watching my children grow older. I'm happy with that. It's a, it's a good thing for me, you know, but, um, I'm just pleased that the industry keeps hiring me. You know, there are a lot of, you know, and I say this to people a lot, See, all those children who used to watch Moesha when they were little and they hated D when they're young, they adore me now that they're older. And a lot of them have their own production companies. And I'm like, yes, hire your mother. Hire your mother. So, you know, all we can do is carry on, just carry on. That that's that is all I can do.
0: Who are some of the actors who you really love and sort of like look at their performances and their ability and be like, wow, like that person is really transcendent.
1: First of all, there's so many. I mean, I love to watch Viola Davis work. Mm. I love to watch Cicely Tyne- Tyson work. Um, I love um, Sterling. Um, I love uh, um, Denzel. I love, um, who else do I love? They're just so many. You know, it's, and they're just doing, they're just doing such great work or have done such great work, you you know? You
0: you played Denzel's wife uh, in The Mighty Quinn.
1: What was it like?
0: working with him and doing a scene with him. I mean, like everybody says he's one of the greats. So when you're in a, in the thing with him, what is that like?
1: I I always have the same answer. I always tell people, especially women, I say, it was better than you think. Yes. We had a lovely time. We just got, we just got along well. You know, I I actually wrote about what it was like working with Denzel and, you know, knowing the family, you know, at that time in my life. And he and I had a very like brother-sister sort of relationship. He doesn't have a sister. And I have um three brothers. So it was always like, oh, we could argue at the drop of a hat. And I was determined to win. And he was gonna make sure I didn't. And it was just we got along well. And then doing the movie together, it was like great. You know, we used to have um Pauletta Denzel and myself used to have a a small nonprofit where we gave toys out to the the children in the most challenged, gang-ridden neighborhoods in Los Angeles. And um, we would go there ourselves, just in cars, to deliver these toys to kids. And it was amazing, a few years ago, a young security guard, he said, Miss Ralph, you remember the living toys in the hood? And I was like, yes, I remember toys in the hood. And he said, I got a toy and I got a job now. And I was like, wow, wow. You never know how you're going to affect people, you know? You just never know. So we made a great movie together and we helped um, people in their lives together. And, you know... They're just amazing people, you know, Pauletta and what she's doing, you know, working with John David. John David was the ring bearer in my first wedding. He refused to go down the aisle. I should have listened to him. But anyway, it was all. Uh, <laughs> it's just been, um, you know, great symbiotic relationships in life you've, but he's you, a great actor and it was great working with him.
0: You've worked with a lot of the towering greats. You worked with De Niro, um who many people say is one of the very best in the business. What is what what's it like working with him and what makes him such a great actor when you're in a scene with him?
1: He and I it's it's interesting because you never know who it is you're going to have chemistry with, right? amazing to have chemistry with Denzel amazing to have chemistry with um Robert De Niro amazing to have chemistry with Whoopi Goldberg you never know about chemistry because you can't fake chemistry either you and your your acting partner have it or you don't have it and you just go through the motions but with Robert De Niro we were doing a film together called Mistress and I was playing his mistress and it it was interesting we got we had one scene and i always loved this scene because this film was shot in i think it was what 1999 or something like that no yeah 1990 whatever and there was a certain man who's occupying the white house who had a reputation of manhandling women and being unkind and um There's a scene where Robert De Niro grabbed me and I turned around and I said, don't play Donald Trump with me. And I always play that back in my mind. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And from there on, it was just like, bam. We just got to that space. He and I had a moment in a car. The scene was set up. We're sitting next to each other. I'm gonna take off. And we're waiting for them to do their whole setup and everything. And he turns to me and he said, you're good. Like, like you're like really good. You're like, you're like award-winning good. It's like, but you know, this industry is not looking for the black girl. And he took a breath and I was wondering to myself, okay, where's he going to go with this? And he says, so you have got to climb that mountain, wave the red flag and let them know that you're there because you are that good. And I was like, wow, thank you, Robert De Niro. Thank you for that. (laughs) So I think I've been waving that red flag for quite some time. In fact, I write about that too in my um in my book. So it was that was quite a moment. And it was it was great working with him. Great. Another garlic, though. He does like garlic.
0: Another giant you worked with, Eddie Murphy in The Distinguished Gentleman. What's it like working with him?
1: We actually had a good time. My dad, Dr. Stanley Ralph, was his principal, his assistant, no, his principal at Roosevelt High, and my father wow. always said, "There's only one student I wanted to kill, and that was Eddie Murphy, <laughs> but he's a talented young man <laughs> wow he, just, he was just He was just great to work with. I remember when we were doing that. he was heartbroken there was it's his business he's alive, he can tell his own stories, but something happened when we were shooting distinguished gentlemen. And when he got the news, he was like, are you kidding me? Really? And he was a little bit heartbroken at that time, but he got over it. <laughs> okay. I don't understand the story. Um, oh, that's all right. He just got his heart broken. We were shooting a movie and he got his heart broken. She chose somebody else and it wasn't him and he couldn't understand it. And I felt bad for him.
0: Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um. Who who can you talk about some of the things that you have learned from being around these these giants? Some of the acting things that you have learned that you've taken into your craft.
1: There's a saying in Jamaica, and it's and the saying goes, "Hold your corner." And when it, I guess it it would be like if you were in a boxing ring, hold your corner. And when I'm in my corner, I'm afloat float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. I come ready. And that's that's I was talking with another actress that I really love. Angenue Ellis. I love Angenue Ellis. I love her acting. If you get to see her in Lovecraft, which is a great series, Mm. um, she just has some work that is just so good. But it's that same thing of let me come ready. Let me know my lines. And maybe I might know yours, too. Let me let me have done the work so I can think through this character, you know, what it is that they're doing. Although now that I'm saying that. I did um, a series called Ray Donovan
0: mm-hmm. and I,
1: and, um, I played um, against John Voigt. once again, another case where. Do not ask me why we had magic, but we had magic. It just worked. And it was so interesting. I got to the set and I'd done my work and I was ready. The director comes up to me and the director says, you got this, you, you can do this with your eyes closed. He said, so now do nothing. I was like, what? He said, just do nothing, just, just do nothing. He says, just change your timing, do nothing. Like you're walking through a park, just, just nothing. And it worked. And I don't know what happened, but it worked. There was a scene and I was throwing this fake Louis Vuitton bag. And all of a sudden it just changed everything. And I remember doing the character and it was just like, Hmm. Mm, mm. And there was one line, it was once again going back to do nothing. And I looked at the looked at Pooch, who played my son, and I said, mm. You're gonna get your ass landed in prison. And just walked away from him. And I was like, wow, okay, just do nothing. Do nothing. Yeah. So that was that was an interesting lesson from a director though. Do nothing. Do less. Exactly. Exactly. Now, sometimes coming from stage, people have preconditioned thoughts, thinking that you're going to do more without getting to know you first. I come across that a lot, but um, most times you just be. I think that's why I don't really, in all of the work, I don't have like real close relationships with directors. Cause they never have too much to say to me, mm. which I've always, I, I, you know, I hear actors talk about, Oh, this director, that director, this director. And I'm just like, Nope, I'll just go in and do my work. And that's it.
0: When you get the script, what do you, yeah. do, what do you do between then and getting on set so that you feel prepared?
1: Read it, read it again. Then read just my parts. <laughs> That's it. Think about it. And most times, you know, it's like most times with a great script and a great character, they come to you immediately. It's like it's it would be like if you're a receptacle and they're a spirit and they just come right into you. I remember when I was doing um, Designing Women and I was playing. um this, this character who was a Las Vegas showgirl. And I remember the first time I got it, and I read, she said, my name is Etienne Toussaint Bouvier. And I, I found myself doing all of that, and I was like, what the heck? But that was the character. And she said, well, there I was. I was standing there in the, at the feminine hygiene counter, and I was thinking to myself, we gotta make a baby. I was like, "Oh my god!" And it was just—it she just came, just like that. Who knows?
0: It—it it, it, usually when you're reading the script, you—it's coming to you who she should be.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Do you need to know the clothes? Do you need to write a backstory to get there?
1: Oh, uh, you know what. I used to spend a lot of time thinking about the backstory as much as I think now about, okay, what might've happened to bring somebody to this point. But sometimes you can have your backstory and then you get on set and the director and the writer have a whole nother backstory. And you're like, well, that's not the way I thought about it. But then you have to make it all work together. So, but most times it it just happens. I hadn't
0: heard that before. So sometimes you have to be fluid with the, Understanding of the character because the the team will tell you no this is our understanding of this character
1: exactly exactly and I think that's another thing you said that word fluid I think an actor has to be fluid I think at we as human beings sometimes are fluid even if we are a rigid person we might be we might approach our rigidity. In a different way, but that doesn't make us any less rigid. Do you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have to be fluid.
0: You—you've been on several of my favorite shows, several oh. legendary shows. I want to hear a little bit about the experience of being on Good Times, one of the greatest shows of all time.
1: You know what? Good Times was interesting to me. You know how sometimes you can be someplace when you're very young and not know exactly where you were until you get older? Right. Good Times was written and brought to Hollywood by a young writer with big dreams from Chicago who grew up in a neighborhood called Cabrini Green, Mm -hmm. which was just such a Horrible housing project that they they blew it up
0: mm-hmm. it was, and,
1: yeah. and regentrified over it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The young man bought it to Norman Lear Productions. I don't know if he ever really got paid what he deserved from the industry at that time. But like life was not as kind to him as it could have been, having created and had the idea for such a great show as Good Times, which was very much groundbreaking at the time. I believe he got sick. He had a stroke. He was lo- he had lost his ability to communicate well. There was some sort of a court case bought against the production company, and I think he might have gotten maybe a million dollars. And I was like, wow, talk about dreams deferred and underpaid. That I always thought was such a sad story. But I had a great time doing the show. Yeah, tell me about you doing the show. I, it was like my second job. My first job was the Jeffersons. I did the Jeffersons. I played um, Mr. Jefferson's secretary and making sure he had ordered the roses for his wife. And um, it was great because I'd seen Sherman Hemsley as a teenager on Broadway doing Pearly. And I was just fascinated that now I was working with him. He and I re- maintained a great relationship. I write about that in my book. And um, it was great doing that. And he was like, oh, you, you're going to make it. You're going you're gonna to make it. And That was good. And then the next thing, I ended up on Good Times playing JJ's bourgeois girlfriend.
0: I mean, those two shows, especially The Jeffersons, had a massive impact on the country. I was pretty young when The Jeffersons was on, but old enough to watch it alongside my parents and have a sense of understanding of, like, this black man... Who screams on white people and slams his door in their face? This is really something. And this is special that this is happening in the culture at all. And I understood his anger and rage and we call it disrespect toward them as revolutionary, right? He wasn't just an angry guy. Like this was this was valuable that he was telling them off on stage and for all of us to see. In 1976 right. and 77 and 78.
1: Absolutely. And I I remember thinking to myself, wow, wow. And these were great actors, too, you know, that whole cast. These were all people from stage. These were all well-educated, well-learned performers in their time. And to be around them, to listen to them talk, to hear that it wasn't just about the industry, you know, even Red Fox. I mean, these, these were folks that they were thinking about what was going on in the world and what it, it was that they were adding to what you might grow up and think. And you're talking to me about it now as an adult. They thought about that. As performers, and I look back now, and I'm like, "Wow, what a blessing!" Because they worked hard to pave the way. You know, when I look at Issa Rae with her production company, when I or two, when I look at um, Lena Waith with her shows and her production companies, Ava, I, when I
0: Shonda said what Ava Shonda you know, Ryan Kugler, I mean, you know, there's so many.
1: Do you, there, there is a, the generation before me, they worked hard for that. They sacrificed hard for that. I, I know a lot of them are so happy to see it happening right now. But for a lot of them, it came at a huge sacrifice. When you said, what um, are
0: are they sacrificing? What, What were they giving up?
1: For some of them, okay, Roz Cash, incredible actress. Not a good actress, great, incredible actress. She got blackballed in the industry because she decided to wear her natural hair. In fact, she dreaded her hair. They blackballed her from the industry. That was a sacrifice. Mr. Poitier, no matter what you think about Mr. Poitier, Mr. Poitier had other ideas of other films to make, but the industry wanted to tell Mr. Poitier at times what he could and could not do. Same thing for Mr. Belafonte. Mr. Belafonte stood out there and did that last man um, on earth where it's um, black man, white man, white woman. Oh, what's the name of the movie? Anyway, it doesn't matter. And he, you know, wanted to make this movie and they were like, you can make the movie, but you cannot get the girl. You know, so it was like, you know, change, change your ideas to fit in, to make it sellable. You know, when you you think about certain actors, it's like when you get that one shot, you should be happy. You got that one shot. You know, you talk about longevity. I've had shot after shot after shot. And that doesn't happen all the time. It certainly didn't happen for them. Red Fox left the industry because he said, so I should just be Happy and satisfied to be black in the industry. I can't have a say. You're going to tell me I can't have a black director. You're going to tell me I can't have a black producer. They fought for things like that. To this day, you know, Hollywood Reporter was just doing an article the other day about the hair and makeup industry. Are they going to let more black and brown folks, obviously black and brown folks, in the union to do black folks' hair? I mean that we're still having certain conversations. I mean, if you're three, four, and five on the call sheet, you don't have the power—same power as one and two. One and two can bring somebody with them, and if it's not what you need, well, then you're just out of luck. So you know that we're still having those kind of conversations. But before us, the, these were these were real sacrifices.
0: What does eating healthy mean to you? I save on every order, usually about 30%, which, of course, I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus... A $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash Torre. Thrivemarket.com slash On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alameen, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. In, in, in the modern industry, how do you get up to one and two, because it's not just a meritocracy, right? It's not like, like, you know, in basketball, you know, I'm going to go out there and score 20 points a night. So, you know, I'm going to be the number one or two guy. It's not a meritocracy in acting. There's a lot of other factors. So how do you, how do you, how do you ascend the mountain?
1: You know, I always say this in this industry, it's all about your team. And it's like, well, how do you get a team? Well, it's always been hard. It remains hard. But you can be at certain agencies and certain people will wake up and say your name. Okay, what are we doing for so-and-so today? What are we doing for Toure today? All right, Toure, you know what? I don't know if I see the script right here, but there's a brand over here. And I think you could probably fill in your account with um, $2 million with this this brand here and then maybe next year we're working on this film, a new superhero, and maybe you can be that and we'll fill that in for next year. And this will tide you over. Oh, and over here, they need a voice and I think your voice is probably going to fit in for this. And so now you've got voice, you've got a brand and you've got a movie coming up because you happen to be at the absolute right agency where the machine starts working for you.
0: So it's the team. It's more than you.
1: Oh, I, I think the industry is full of talented people who will never get anywhere because Maybe they're not at the right agency or maybe they don't have the right team or maybe they don't have the right management or who knows, you know, the, it's, it's difficult, but at the same time, there are a lot of people out there. You're like, how the hell they get there? Wait a minute. How did, how did, how did that happen? They've been here two seconds. How did that happen? But there's also another saying in Jamaica. It says, what is for can't be on for you. So if you if forget it, you forget it. Right. If it's yours, it's yours. If you're just supposed to get it, you're going to get it.
0: Your Jamaican accent is impeccable. Um, you were, <laughs> Thank you. You were on one of my absolute favorite shows of the 80s, L.A. Law.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: What was that experience like?
1: That was great. That was so great. At the time, they were actually thinking of doing a spinoff of a black female detective. It didn't happen, but they were absolutely thinking about it. I went in for one episode. I think I ended up doing two episodes and it was um, I had a great time. I had a great time working that job. And I was, I was just myself.
0: I was so just inspired my- so inspired by the end of high school, because I lived for the show. By the end of high school, I was like, I want to be a lawyer. And I went and interned at uh in a lawyer's office. And I realized, oh, I don't no, no, care. I want to be on LA law. I don't want <laughs> to be a lawyer. This is not LA law. This is not fun and exciting. I exactly. want to <laughs> I think I need to like gravitate toward the the camera and not the profession because the profession is a snooze. Um mm-hmm. I would be uh attacked on Twitter and on the street if I didn't ask you about Dream Girls, which is a legendary production in culture as well as a landmark in your career. Um talk about the experience of mounting this incre- the original, original, before Beyonce, before everybody, the original version of this play.
1: Dream Girls, I I say this all the time. It was probably the best and the worst of worst time of my whole life. You know, it's it was something that was developed out of us as young artists. You know, we would do improvisation, and things would end up in the script. And um, it was hard work, but it was great work. I, you know, what they say, I wouldn't take anything for my journey. I, um, and I say all the time that I love my, my what I do so much that I would do it for free. And we basically did doing Dream Girls. <laughs> you know, we basically sold our rights for a dollar. And, um, you know, with all the success, we have not shared in the the, the the financial success of the musical as you thought, as you would think we should or might have, having literally created the show. Shows since then, you know, they've come back, you know, certain casts like Hamilton, Chorus Line, they went back and they got what they were paid. We, for whatever reason, it hasn't happened with the cast of Dream Girls. But um, for a lot of people, I will always be Dina Jones, and I'll always be Moesha Mama. So uh, most artists don't get things like that, but I certainly have those landmarks in my life that will always be associated with me. And I'm a Tony-nominated actor, so... I mean, That's something special.
0: I mean, your your name rings out for anyone who knows anything about this business. Um, yeah, Moesha was a big, big show, and it was a really important show to a lot of people who watched it and lived for it and loved it. Um, talk about being Brandy's mom on uh, Moesha.
1: That was also that was another interesting time. You know, I loved the fact that when I had my braids and that direct that producer said, find an, a nat- can I find a more natural hairstyle? Here I was with this young black girl. She was gonna lead this show with her braids and her young, exciting black teenage self. And I just felt so good, you know, being able to be a part of that. And I I enjoyed it for as long as it lasted. I enjoyed it and it was good. And like I say, I'm always Moesha Mama. But, you know, it's interesting now that Moesha is running on Netflix, all of those kids who are now Adults themselves, with kids themselves, when they hated D, they're like, oh, Miss Ralph, oh, I get you. You're such a wonderful mother. Now I'm learning how to be a mother and how to respect what it is to be a mother and to be a stepmother. So it's it's in some way opened up a brand new audience. For whatever reason, my following just gets younger and younger which to me is so cool. I love that. Okay, yesterday I was trying to call Lettucey. So I called Lettucey, but I must've had the wrong phone number. You know, a lot of people change their phone numbers. I get a call back and this voice says, "Miss Ralph, and I said, Girl, how are you? She said, Miss Ralph, I'm just calling to let you know this isn't Lettuce's phone number anymore, but I love you so much. And when you said your name, Cheryl Lee Ralph, I had to call you back and let you know that I love you. And my sisters are standing in the background and they're just going crazy because I'm talking to Moisha Mama. And I was like, <laughs> That to me is just, first of all, it's absolutely precious and it is just so meaningful that a young young person connects with you enough that they're like I just got to tell you this and I just I just love that I just love that
0: I know that you feel the responsibility that you have to your ancestors and to the actors who came before you
1: who paved the road
0: for you where does that sense of responsibility show up in the work?
1: Okay. A young woman told me exactly where it showed up. She said to me, Miss Ralph, you are intentional in your work. You are intentional in the roles you show. And I love the fact that they all call me Miss Ralph, (laughs) but I was like, absolutely. I'm absolutely intentional. And she said, and I appreciate that because it makes me feel good. And I said, and that's why I am intentional in what I do, because I want you to feel good. I want you to know that there is greatness out there for you and you deserve the best that life has to offer. It is not easy choosing to do the right thing. It is not easy trying to wake up in the morning to be your best self. It is not easy, but we try with intention to bring our best selves to life. It is so easy to be rude. It is so easy to be nasty. It is so easy to give attitude. Trust me, it never looks good and I got to hold on to my good looks. So with intention, I work on being my best self, and I do it for them.
0: Mm. Um, I ask a lot of people, you know, at the bottom of your emotional well, it mm. seems to me almost everybody is either one of three things, sad, angry, or scared.
1: Woo. Wow. You now you, you know, (laughs) I, and I always think about, I think of life in like pictures and it's like, you took me right inside my brain and my brain got a little bubble on it. And it was like, Whoa, I've got some expanded thought right there. (laughs) Sad, sad, angry, or afraid. I'm a child of integration. So in the sixties. I was like the only one and people were so mean when you're the only black kid and you're the only one that looks at you. They were so mean. They were so unkind. The young kids were mean and unkind. Older people were mean and unkind. And sometimes I'd stand there and I'd look and it'd be like, you're supposed to know better. And they were just as awful as the kids. Right. I remember that. Growing up, I guess it was the fact that, you know, you always have these middle years in your life where you're never who it is you're going to become. And I was never the pretty girl. I was never the cute girl. I was never the pretty girl. I was never the popular girl. And because I was never those things, I had to work on other things. You know, I had to work on excelling in school. I had to work on Um, making sure I was smart, that I was um, able to get my points delivered. You know, people would tell you, you know, what you couldn't do. And I was going to make sure they knew that I knew what I could do. I'll never forget. It was the 70s and they were going to tell, oh no, yeah, it was the 70s. And they told us we could not wear pants to school. Mm. can't wear pants. It is frippin' freezing, freezing. And I said, you're gonna tell me I can't wear pants to protect my legs to school, going to school? And it was um, eighth grade, and that doggone teacher was gonna make sure I froze in the winter, and all the girls too. So I wrote to the governor, and I wrote to the Board of Regents, and I said, do you think it's fair that I should freeze in the winter? That teacher hated me because I got us to wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> then I got to high school and there was no girls' track team. We had all these West Indians. All of we could run. And we can't have a track team. Once again, I wrote to the mayor, I wrote to the board of regents, and I said, we need a track team. Do you know that to this day, Uniondale High School has an award? winning female track team to this day and there was a day when we couldn't run because they told us we couldn't run (laughs) but maybe i was afraid that they were going to tell me no so i was sad when they treated me badly then i was afraid what was the other one
0: scared angry and uh scared and angry and uh, sad.
1: sad and i'm angry now that you do all the work that you do Look at the work I did around HIV and AIDS. I said, all these viruses about people figuring out who they're going to hate, who they're going to dislike, right? Wear a condom. It's a proven barrier. You think we could get people to consider hate? No, they'd have to keep hating. Think we could get people to wear condoms? No, don't feel good. Well, neither did HIV or AIDS. Now here we are with corona about who we hate. Frontline workers out there. Mm. All those people you never paid attention to. Oh my God, they're so important now. Okay, good. Give them the $15 an hour that they deserve. Take care of them. Step out of your bubble and consider them. Wear a mask so that they don't get the disease. Can you do that? whole lot of people in certain 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 pockets and bubbles. Oh, they can't wear a mask. Oh, it doesn't feel good. I can't wear a mask. If I wear a mask, they can't hear me. They don't, they don't know what it is I'm saying. Can you hear me? I have a mask on. I don't feel good. I have a mask on. And I'm just like, Lord, have mercy. A young artist has a song, people, please deliver me from people. So I guess maybe, did I answer your question? I guess maybe at the bottom of my emotional well, I am, All those things.
0: (laughs) Um, What is your superpower? What is the thing that you do better than other people that has led to your success?
1: I don't know if it's led to my success, but I'm an empath. I can feel people's pain. I feel how they feel. Sometimes I, I can, sometimes, and I was laughing about this with my daughter, I had to be in the company of somebody who was looking at me and they were looking at me in that way. You know, sometimes people give you that side eye Mm. and they're looking at you from the top to the bottom. And they're only looking at at you because they think you're wonderful, but because you're wonderful, they don't feel so wonderful, right? They don't Mm. feel wonderful about themselves. And I could feel that this person was looking at me feeling like that about themselves. So I had to turn to the person and I said, I have always loved your work. And you're such a talented person. And it's just great every time I get to see your work. They immediately changed. And I just had to give them what they needed. It didn't take anything off of me. I told them how I really felt and they felt better. Go figure. That's my superpower.
0: To be able to feel people.
1: Yeah, you gotta feel people. A lot of people want to be felt. A lot of people want to know that they're understood. A lot of I, I tell you sometimes uh, when you walk among amongst the, the homeless, and this has really happened to me a few times, and you you acknowledge them. You know, sometimes they look at you crazy, you just acknowledge them. Sometimes they, you know, I'll never forget one time I acknowledged somebody and the <laughs> person turned to me and said, and that's why I love you, Shirley, Ralph. Yeah, one time, and I have these strange things happen to me all the time, and it's so weird. And I always say sometimes, God, why do you want me to see this? Why? I was at 50, I was standing on, walking towards 57th and 6th Avenue. And in a, in an, by the light, the stoplight, the pole there looked like a pile of garbage, you know, blankets and it was dirty, right? And a head came out of it. It was a woman. And for whatever reason, she started talking to me. Because in her mind, it was like she knew who I was or something, right? And she asked me to take my phone out. And she said, take my picture because I want you to put it out there. I want people to see me and maybe my people might find me. Mm. I, I, I was like, wow. Maybe my people might find me. And I mean, she she was uh, 6th Avenue and 57th Street. Lost. And just lost completely. And it just just looked like a pile of garbage. You know, and I was like, my God, maybe my people will find me. And I remembered that so much. I wrote it in. I wrote a one-woman show called Sometimes I Cry, all about real women's real stories around the disease. And there was a line that one of the characters said, is that I have, n- I have only been maybe one mile away from home, but I'm lost. I was like, Wow. Wow. During, you know, there was a time and people often say, what was the crossway for black people and AIDS? And I always said I thought it was the crack epidemic, you know, what what was happening to young black people during the crack epidemic. And I thought that was why so many of us were were in the disease. And there was a friend of mine who. Good, good little black girl, Girl Scout, everything. And she became a crack addict. And one day I saw her, don't ask me how I saw her. And uh, she used to tell me how her mother would look for her. Um, Her mother was always looking for her. And it was like, she said, sometimes I just wish she would look out the window because she was right across the street. She She would find her way back home and she would look through the window and see her parents, you know, living life. And I was like, wow. And I just never forgot that. I don't know. People want to be seen. People want to be felt. I don't
0: know. Is that what you love about acting, that you get to be seen?
1: I think I love acting because acting has given me a platform to do other things and have people see that work. I don't know if being seen as an actor is as important for me as being seen as somebody who wants you to see that there is better for you, that you can actually be much better. That little girl that called me on the phone with lettuces' old phone number, she says, I only sound good cuz I'm trying to be polite and I said don't try to be polite just be polite. She said, "Okay." Okay. I don't know if anybody had told her that. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? It's like I want I want when they see me that I'm coming with love for you. I'm coming with something good for you. I'm here for you. I think that's important.
0: Thanks so much to Cheryl for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox, Kathy F., and Kina Murphy. Torre Show is written by me, Toray, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight.